This season, we're proud to partner with Wave. Do you know 7 out of 10 creators don't have enough money set aside for a financial crisis? It's super important to have the right tools and insights to stay in control. And let's be honest, most of us did not become money managers. So let the experts do the work. Wave is affordable, one-stop money management for creators. It streamlines invoicing, payments, payroll, all in one place, keeping you in complete control. Plus, Wave is offering a free personal 20-minute session with one of their bookkeeping coaches when you create a free account. A normally $99 cost, Wave wants to make expert advice accessible for creators and take the fear and intimidation out of bookkeeping taxes. Spots are limited, so don't wait. Visit waveapps.com slash nofluke to claim your free coaching session. That's W-A-V-E-A-P-P-S dot com slash N-O-F-L-U-K-E. That's waveapps.com slash nofluke. Welcome to It's No Fluke, your weekly podcast about the untold stories and uncharted waters in culture and creativity. You're going to love listening to Eddie Ndopu. He was just featured on ABC News, wrote an incredible piece in Time, and his debut book, Sipping Dom Perignon Through a Straw, is already Apple's best book of the month and in the top 10 on Amazon. His story is fascinating, but I'll let him tell it in his own words. He attended Oxford on a scholarship, has a master's in public policy, as one of 17 global advocates appointed by the UN Secretary General for Sustainable Development Goals. And he was commissioned by the World Economic Forum at the behest of Professor Klaus Schwab to produce a white paper on the role of the private sector in addressing the global youth unemployment crisis. In short, Eddie Ndopu is a badass and he's just getting started. Let's go. Eddie, thanks for joining. What was the inspiration behind the book? So the inspiration for, so Sipping Dom Perignon Through a Straw felt like this simultaneously cheeky and incisive metaphor for really being able to articulate, um, I think, a frustration that I've always been harboring. I think that the way that we talk about inclusion for people with disabilities, accessibility for people with disabilities tends to be framed primarily through like the built environment, right? So we talk about like ramps and like accessible parking spots and that entire discourse has always felt very, very basic for lack of a better word and like very yeah. like compliance driven and like ticking a box. And so I've, I've always been in pursuit of more, right? Like what does accessibility look like beyond compliance, right? Like what does it look like beyond ticking a box, beyond bureaucracy and thinking about accessibility to the good life, right? To intimacy, yeah. to belonging, to dignity, to a sense of self-actualization. And so sipping Dom Perignon through a straw, um, there's actually a story behind that um, in the book yes. <laughs> where I um, found myself on a plane. Um, I was in the first class cabin um, of, of a plane and I had just returned from a global conference where I was addressing world leaders about accessibility. And we were on the tarmac about to take off and, you know, as is the case when you find yourself in this like bougie cabin, um, the flight attendant will walk <laughs> up to you and they'll be like, oh, would you like water or would you like champagne? Like, what, what's your beverage of choice? 
And I was just like, well, I mean, duh, of course, I would love a glass of Dom Perignon. That would be amazing. And so, you know, the attendant, you know, eventually comes with, with, the, with the chill glass and, you know, you know, super fancy, very dramatic, pours it for me, walks off. And as I'm about to take my first sip, this lanky guy sort of like enters my peripheral vision and you know he's like very distracting right so i kind of like swivel my head and i'm just like hey you know just kind of say hi i thought he's like on his way to the bathroom but he's like actually like coming towards me Mm -hmm. and so he kind of crouches down beside me and he's just like that is so rad and i'm like for like you know super discombobulated like what is going on right now and he's right. just like you're drinking Dom Perignon through a straw and I was just like I, I took a moment and I'm just like yeah I am and he's just like that is so cool then he kind of got up and then he like left me like went away and I sat with that moment and I was it, it stayed with me for a long time because I think there was something that he was able to see in that moment where somebody who looks like me, right, who lives with a disability, I'm unable to use my hands, right, mm-hmm. um, without yeah. assistance, right? And so I, I I needed a straw to be able to, 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 to drink, but it was the fact that it was that juxtaposition, right, of like this, the, the finest champagne and a straw, right? Those two things don't go together, right? And then I realized that 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 is somewhat of a metaphor for my life, right? That I've always found myself in spaces that I was not supposed to be according to the logic of like an ableist society, right? That kind of says that people with disabilities are ineligible for certain things um, on the basis of our identity. And so I took that 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 story, which, which which I I you know I incorporated it into the book and fleshed it out in greater detail. But then I realized that this would make for a really fun and compelling title um, for the memoir. And oh, so yeah. I I took it. I'm just like yeah, sipping Don Perignon through a straw. That like encompasses my whole life. <laughs> well, it's it's a great attention grabber, right? But you said it better than I ever could in that it defines more about what you know what's aspirational, right? And right. what you know what you want to have with your life, and what everyone should have with their life. And I think that's right. you know the the greater purpose. Um, what what does the well intentioned person get wrong the most? when it comes to ableism and trying to be helpful, but not helpful at all. Oh my goodness. There's like a, there's a whole list. There's a list. Give me of, the list. We, we have unlimited time, Eddie. Well, you know what, Jeff, I think let's take a step back a little bit because I think it's really important that I say this. So I think for so much of my career, I was, you know, the sort of, quintessential disability rights activist, right? So I spoke yeah. in policy terms, right? I spoke about legislation. I spoke about, you know, inclusion with the capital I, right? Um, into formalized spaces. And I just realized that something was off 
right, about the way that I had been doing this work and committing myself to this advocacy. And then I realized several years ago, I made the pivot to switch from speaking about disability rights to focusing on anti-ableism, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there is a distinction there and there's a nuance because I fundamentally believe that ableism and, and yes, it's another ism and people sort of, um, you know, think that I'm being political, but I'm actually not, right? Like I'm, 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 I'm I don't mean ableism in, in, in the kind of political sense, but I'm talking about the way that we organize society and organize the world around a very narrow definition of what counts as human productivity, human value, human worth, right? Ableism Mm -hmm. says that there is only one way of being, right? There's only one way of showing up in the world, right? There's only one way of being healthy. There's only one way of kind of moving through space and time, right? Yeah. And, And so, Ableism then, uh, in, in line with that definition, means that it's not just disabled people like myself who are impacted negatively by ableism, that non-disabled people, right, are also impacted by ableism, that we're all implicated in ableism, and that in some ways it harms all of us, right? So if ableism dehumanizes people with disabilities, then by the same token, it would strip non-disabled people of their own humanity, right? They'd be constrained by this very harmful um, way of thinking about bodies, right? And the worth that we assign to bodies, right? And that, and that this broader definition, I think, has, has actually made my advocacy more inclusive and has actually gotten deeper, right? It, it, I've been able to articulate the problem in, in, in a deeper way and in a way that, that, that connects people and makes people understand it in, with, with more depth and more complexity of, 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 of what I'm really talking about. And so, and, and so to answer your question, I think that's the first thing I think that, that, that well-intentioned folks get wrong is that when when we talk about disability people think oh well you're not talking about me right like that is like this is a very niche thing like i am you know there's that distance right like i am the person that is the beneficiary of of ableism and so you know it's 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 like an interest group thing it's like a you thing that has absolutely nothing to, to me and i would say that ableism has everything to do with you it has everything to do with all of us because if 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 disabled people get free right if we if we have dignity if we have agency then everybody gets free right yeah. and and that is that's what i want to communicate and and convey and so i think i think that's sort of the first thing that i that i wish people would understand um is that within all of us myself included as somebody who's lived with a disability my whole life i myself harbor ableist thoughts right like i too am breathing the same air right Mm -hmm. that sort of says that you know sometimes i look in the mirror and i'm just like i don't really like my body but then i have to like interrogate that like where does that come from like who taught me that like who who told me 
that 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 my body doesn't look very good like where 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 do all of these ideas come from and so i've sort of been on this quest to introduce this language and this thinking of 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 sort of anti-ableism as a way to kind of broaden the conversation so that we're able to talk about the things that don't get said in the conference room, right? That don't get said mm -hmm. on the floor of Congress, right? Um, where real life happens. Um, and, and so I think, you know, that that would be important to say. And then, you know, from that, you know, I think there's so many things that, that we all get wrong, right? Um, but yeah. I often say, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting it wrong, but there is mm -hmm. something wrong of not doing anything, right, out of a fear yeah. of not getting it wrong, right? And, and so we need to get it wrong. Um, I think that's important. Yeah, being uncomfortable, right? Like that's that's okay. the thing. Some people are afraid to be uncomfortable. They don't know exactly what to do. Right. They're introverted. They, they're like, I think that there's that moment, I think that people are like, I think I should do something, but should right. I do something? Should I not do something? And you're probably looking at them like, just do something. Right, just do something. <laughs> just do something. You see and I face. think it's just, you know, Jeff, it's like, for me, it's just like, we're all complex, right? We're all, yeah. and I think complexity is a beautiful thing. If we can all validate one another's complexity, I think that we're halfway there, right? So. One of the things that irks me, and it irks people with disabilities everywhere, like every disabled person I speak to, um, they hate the term inspiration. We don't like Ugh. it. We don't like it. I can it, see but, why. You know why, right? It's kind of like, and you know, it's funny, like I could just be minding my own business, having my coffee in the morning, and somebody would just come up to me and say, you're so inspiring. And I'm like, Am I inspiring because I'm having a coffee and I'm doing everyday things like you are? Like, does that make me, you know, so I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious there, but like, I, I, I do think that we, that we do people with disabilities a disservice when we don't incorporate, when we don't expand our vocabulary to be able to describe people with disabilities in more complex ways, right? Like I, I don't just yeah. want to be inspiring. Like I want to be, you know, I want to be a badass. I want to be, I want to be interesting. I want to be curious. I want to be intelligent. I want, you know, I want to, there's so much um, in our lexicon that we can draw from to be able to, I think, accord people with disabilities more complexity. Um, and then in so doing, actually see us f for who we are in our full humanity. Well, I think when you're giving a speech and you've done that a lot and, and you're doing that, I think that's when you aspire to be inspirational. If right. you're drinking right. a coffee, you'd like to just be every day. Right? right. That's I think I think that's the core of the argument and the point. I right. think it's really interesting too that you've been doing this for a while and you are even evolving in the terminology that you want to use in how you want to approach it. Um, you know, someone who lives it every day and understands it better than almost anybody who's listening on this podcast, the fact that you're evolving means that everybody should be evolving with this. Um, yeah. Plus, I, I did like just the fact that you can kind of, in that title, right, approach this with, 
you know, aspiration um, and a little bit of humor um, yeah. that's applied to it because I think that's I think that's necessary too. I think those are those are, like yeah, you don't want to be you don't want to be an inspiration for just doing everyday stuff. Right. And, you know, it, it's a complex one, right? So I'm not, I, I, I love the word inspiration, right? Of course, I think I, I would love to be an inspiration, but not in, not in a way that, 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 that tethers that inspiration specifically to my disabled lived experience, right? I want to be, yeah. I want to be inspiring for who I am and, and the work that I do and I, and, and what I, um, like what I put out into the world, right. In the same way that we would call any other person inspiring for doing, but it's interesting because if, if you pay, if you pay close attention, the word inspiration is almost always exclusively used when describing disabled people. Right, like, mm -hmm. like there, there's something, and and the, and when you see it, you can't unsee it. Like it's it's everywhere. You're like, oh my gosh, like and so it comes up, and and even I do interviews all the time. I'm always, you know, I I I have a public facing life, and it's interesting. I when I read about myself and when I watch myself, I I I see that. Like they, you know, people invoke inspiration immediately. I'm just like, oh wow, that's that's quite interesting. Um, yeah. It, it's interesting to unpack it, right? It's a it's a conversation that I've never had and a conversation I've never thought about. And I'm thinking about it in real time in this moment. And I'm going, yeah, Eddie, you're you're right. You're damn right. Like people do that all the time and trying to understand how that's felt. Right. Because the person who's delivering it. And this is where I kind of ask the question, what do good people get wrong? Right. And this is one of those things that good people get wrong because they're thinking they're like they're thinking I'm being empathetic or I'm doing something right. But it's kind of they're applying their lens to a situation. And that's where the error kind of happens. Yeah. And 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 again, you know, I'll say it's not it's not malicious, but it is, I think, indicative of a particular kind of thinking. Right about yeah. disability because I think the underlying logic from where I sit, from my vantage point, is that the way it feels. Right, your question about how does it feel, and as a disabled people, what I often am left with is the feeling that oh, I exist. My entire existence is so that non-disabled people are able to feel better about themselves or good about themselves in one way mm -hmm. or another, right? So it's not that I am existing independently and autonomously. It's sort of like, oh, like I, I'm in, if Eddie was able to accomplish um, something, then, you, you know, kind of like if he can do it, why can't I do it, right? Like it's sort of, it, it, it always centers the sensibility of non-disabled people, right? So it's always like, you know, um, Oh, I, I, you know, I, I better like stop being lazy, right? If Eddie's able to accomplish all of these things and he has a disability, yeah, then why yeah. can't I do it, right? And and there's something kind of problematic about that, right? Because it means that the standard is always able-bodiedness, right? That that's the default. And I'm kind of right. like, no, maybe you can't do what I can, what I do. Like, maybe let's. Yeah. 
you know, let's have that coffee. Like maybe, maybe I just have certain talents that you just don't have and that you can't think that you can do mm -hmm. it just because I have. And I think that's where we need to interrogate some, some, some pretty fundamental assumptions. Oh, absolutely. On that one. That again, that's where that word inspiration comes in. Um, there's a very intentional thing too about how this conversation started and, and how I'm introing it in that I'm not starting with Eddie is blah, blah, blah. No, I right. want, I want to start with the accolades. I want to start with the work you do. And then we'll get to that in your own words. Right. And I think that's kind of how you want to be defined too, right? I I'm sure there's a it, I'm sure there's a juxtaposition that happens a lot where it's like you are advocating on behalf of, but you also would like to you know have different things. That's a great point too, by the way too. If people are like, if they see, and this is not just for this argument. This could be from you know economic background, societal right. background, racial background, you right. know anything where it's like, oh, you did this with that, and you're like. No, but I can, you know, I can just right. do things. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, exactly. I mean, and, and I think, you know, I think that says something because I think implicit in that is an admission yeah. of, of privilege, right? Like, I think maybe we just admit that. Like, I, I think there's an, I think there's a, like, people know how the point. world works, right? So when somebody, if a non disabled person says that to me, I know. Like if they say, oh, wow, like, you know, imagine what I can do if I just applied my mind, right? You've got a disability. If I just like worked harder or did something, then I could do what you do. And I think implicit in that statement, I think is a, is, is the acknowledgement of, a it's, it's about power, right? Yeah. That, 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 that people know that we live in a world that is, designed around the needs of kind of, you know, ambulatory, perfectly sighted, perfectly hearing, you know, people, right? And and so, and and I think that's where I, I, that's my appeal is just like, okay, that's what we need to dismantle. Like, that's what we need to kind of interrogate and, and analyze. Like, we need to be able to kind of say, no, right? Like, that, that we need, we, they, they should be a way in which we're able to have a multiplicity of human lived experiences validated and celebrated equally, right? That one doesn't have to trump the other. Yeah. No, and I think, and I, I intentionally, for the beginning part of this podcast, wanted to just deeply sit in the uncomfortable for people because, you know, so often like, they're like, no, ask happy questions, come in with a lot of energy. And I'm like, no, no, I, you know, let's, let's actually have a real conversation about some of these things. And there'll be a lot of people that'll be listening and they'll be like, but I'm just well-intentioned, but I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, and hopefully this is, you know, a chance to kind of sit in it and hear and maybe take a little time for self-reflection myself included and go, yeah, you've definitely had moments where you thought you were being helpful and you weren't. And that was something I was thinking about all weekend. I was like, yeah, where do I F up all the time? You know, I'm tr I try and be empathetic. I try and do everything else. But even, you know, I've had my moments. Yeah. 
we come back, Eddie and I talk about how he got into advocacy, why he hopes that job goes out of business because it won't be needed anymore, and why we should re-examine Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And of course, what's the best song to have on in the background when you're sipping some Dom Perignon? But first, a message from Wave. Money management, like a lot of things in my life, currently sits on a notes app as a thing I should be doing, but I'm not currently doing. Managing your money and accessing expert advice shouldn't be hard, and that's why It's No Fluke is proud to partner with Wave. Wave offers an easy-to-use suite of money management tools for creators in one place, streamlining your bookkeeping and saving you major time. Plus, when you create a free Wave account, you'll get a free personal 20-minute session with one of Wave's bookkeeping coaches, normally priced at $99. It's not a sales call. You can ask any questions you have about bookkeeping and get expert advice. The goal is to help you feel confident and in control of your finances. Spots are limited. Don't wait. Visit waveapps.com slash noflu to claim your free coaching session. That's W-A-V-E-A-P-P-S dot com slash N-O-F-L-U-K-E. That's waveapps.com slash nofluke. Like most of us, we start with ourselves, right? Like I think that yeah. advocacy started with self-advocacy, right? That I, you know, grew up often being the only visibly disabled person um, at school, in the mall, um, mm-hmm. you know, no one else around me looked like me. And so I had to learn very quickly how to express and articulate my needs right? Mm-hmm. How to say what I want. And it's still a journey. I, I, I still don't think I'm great at it, but I, I, in order to, to, to survive and make it, I, I, it's something I needed to do. I needed to learn how to become a better advocate for myself. And then at some point in my teenage years, I realized that like, Hey, you know what, like what I do for myself, I could potentially do this for other people as well. Right? Like this is, this is a skill, right? This is something that, yeah. that the world needs. And, you know, it, it very slowly progressed, right? I, I was introduced, you know, to leadership opportunities at a very young age. And by the time I was 19 years old, I was kind of catapulted on the world stage. And, and you know, I, a, a, a pivotal turning point for me was attending the World Economic Forum um, in, in Cape Town, I was, you know, 19 years old and all of these like heads of state and, you know, um, world leaders. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, it was a whole world that, 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 that I was introduced to. And I, I, I enjoyed being able to influence, um, their decision-making, right. To be able to sort of, you know, be in the rooms where the future of humanity gets decided, right? To be there and to be able to say, hey, this is what you're not thinking about. These are the people that are being left out. And I, you know, it just became my thing and I became really passionate about it. And, you know, I I just kind of ventured off, which was so different, by the way, Jeff, from what I actually wanted to do growing up. I, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Okay. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So, you know, completely different. And, and, you know, I, um, 
you know, I used to sketch incessantly, you know, but unfortunately, the nature of my disability is such that, you know, it's degenerative, right? So the older I get, mm -hmm. the weaker I become. And I had lost the capacity to sort of draw and sketch and hold a pencil that became like really hard for me. And so I had to kind of pivot and, and dream a new dream. And, you know, I, I often say that, 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 that the gift of disability, certainly a degenerative one, is that it forces you to dream new dreams, right? You constantly need to reinvent yourself um, so as to adjust to the changes in your body and, and, and what you are and aren't able to, to do. So, yeah, you know, that, that was a forced pivot, but um, nevertheless, I, I, it, it became something that I enjoyed. And I think in some ways there's a connection between activism and, and the world of creative, um, of creativity, right? Yeah. Because my, my definition of activism or advocacy is um, using our imagination to envision a world that doesn't yet exist and going after that world, right? So it's a deeply creative enterprise, right? Because you've got to actively reimagine and think about how the world could be and ought to be. Um, and so you, there's some creativity involved there. And so for me, I think there's a logical extension between my earlier ambitions and sort of my current occupation. Well, I think that's, that's the interesting thing. Like we're like a, a dozen episodes into this podcast or so. And, you know, we're, when I'm talking to creators, and I've done this for a while now, when I talk to any creator, any person who does content, they will always talk about forced pivots, right? That's a commonality, right? Um, it, they might come from different ways, right? But almost everybody, there's the commonality in anybody who's a successful creator that, they uh, an opportunity was thrust upon them or they saw an opportunity and they didn't say no to it it's more so not saying no it's not saying yes i think there's this often used thing where people are like i said yes to the opportunity i was like no i mean you can say yes to a lot of things and that's gonna be a terrible idea it's just not saying no to something when it's like obviously presented and it seems to make sense i mean yeah. but yes the term force pivot um you know makes it a little a little easier but it also makes it tougher in the same sense but that 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 part is true in everything right you know what we do right now is not what we'll be doing in five years it's not what we'll be doing in 10. um right. what do you want to be doing five ten years from now that's a great question Jeff and while you're thinking about that I'll add another layer to it what do you want the world to look like in five to ten years too because I want to ask a harder question on top of a hard question just yeah, layers yeah. layers of hard why not why not well what, <laughs> I will, what I will say to you is that I think it's easier for me to answer the question what would and I think they're related, like, what yeah. would my life feel like five years from now? And what would the world I'm 
envisioning feel like, right? Like I, I because I think that you know I, I I think it was Brene Brown who 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 said this, and and I thought I was forever changed when when she made this observation is that we we often like to think about ourselves as human beings as um as as thinking people who occasionally feel, and she said no 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 mm. we've got it backwards. We're actually feeling people who occasionally think, right? That we're actually emotion first and and logic yeah. second, right? Like that that but we don't we we don't often think about it that way. And I think it's so true that that we live from how we feel really shapes and dictates our lives, right? And and I I five years from now I think I you know I I think like so many people I want to feel less anxious. Right. I want to feel, you know, there's this sort of mm. chronic anxiety that kind of shapes 21st century living, right? Where we're, we're constantly stressed, but we've normalized it to the point that we don't really think about it much, right? We, we're just, you know, there's just the simmer, right? We, we're just like constantly just like feeling all of this anxiety. And I think when you um, live, with the reality of exclusion constantly it's amplified and magnified like tenfold right and and i think that the world that i'm envisioning is a world like i think i think things like poverty and inequality and and all of these things that we're constantly fighting against what those things really produce which we don't talk about is daily trauma, yeah. right? That 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 con that state of emotional despair, right? It's not even the material conditions, I think, that are particularly harmful. It's what how those things damage us at 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 a deeply emotional and psychological level, right? And that's why inequality and poverty and exclusion are so corrosive and destructive because they impact our psyche as human beings, right? They alter mm -hmm. the way that we see the world and the way that we, that we think about ourselves, right? And so that is the conversation that I want us to be having. And so what I am envisioning, what I hope the world could look like is, a, you know, when we have a trauma-based response to how we tackle these large, seemingly intractable problems uh, because they impact. So I, I'm looking for wellness, you know, for tenderness, for softness, mm -hmm. for joy, for desire, for pleasure, you know, all of these things to feel our way out of the current state of precariousness that we've gotten accustomed to, right? Um, and so for me, I, I want to be doing stuff where, you know, frankly speaking, I, I, I don't have to talk about, ad, when, I, when I stop talking about advocacy and I can like talk about other things, then I'll know that like, okay, Eddie, mm -hmm. you're, you're doing well, right? Like you, you yeah. can, you know, I, I could talk about music and art and love and poetry, right? Like that is, and, and I wanna be able to live a life where I am just like enjoying every single second of it without necessarily having to feel compelled 
to 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 be constantly doing change making. Does that make sense? Makes a ton of sense. I have four thoughts, and let's see if I can remember all of them um, <laughs> as you were talking. Um, <laughs> the first one, um, and I might completely blank because I had you, you made me think a lot of things. Uh, my easiest one, and so the non uh, the non intellectual one, was that of course we're feelers and we're not thinkers. Otherwise, Bravo wouldn't exist. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just. I started thinking about that. And I'm like. So I watch I watch a lot of Andy Cohen. None of this is none of this is thinking. So I'm like, okay, clearly we are feelers. We are not thinkers. Um, right. Thank you to all the good people at Netflix for all the, the <laughs> trash TV that they make that I watch so much of. Um, we, we owe you a debt of gratitude. <laughs> yes, yes, because you've 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 made it easy for me to kind of articulate that and think about that in my own head. Um, the second one is that I think for anybody who's in advocacy, nonprofits, a lot of different spaces, they, they, they have this mindset and you articulated it well, put me out of business. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want this to have to be around forever. You know, if you have a cause, you're like, please let me move on to something else, you know? Um, and that's kind of the, that's kind of my test. Um, when people are working in that space, are you genuine or are you just kind of, you know, riding a wave, right? Because the genuine person is like, please, I do not want to do this forever. Um, You're absolutely right. And and maybe this is going to be a little bit provocative and, and I may need to think it through a little bit more, but you know, the I'm, about to hit the, I'm about to hit the Mark clip button, Eddie. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was just going to say that like, I, I mean, I think there is something potentially addictive um, to you know, um, having this wounded attachment yeah. to, you know, the perpetuation of suffering. Um, not to say, and, and that's why I need to be careful, right? It's not to say that we enjoy um, suffering, right? But it is to say that I think it does keep us engaged in this toxic relationship with it, right? This dynamic where there is this addictive impulse, right? To kind of keep keep sort of swimming in these same waters, right? And that's why, you know, I, I mentioned that because I think what you said earlier is so important. Like that is absolutely right. Put me out of put me out of business, right? And and I yeah. think the goal and, and that doesn't just apply to organizations. I think that applies to us as individuals. I yeah. I think that it would be a grave I, I do not want to have to live the rest of my life fighting, right? I, I, I like that, that would mm -hmm. also not be the mark of a life well lived. If the only thing that I've ever been able to do with this one life is just, you know, spend it day in, day out fighting, um, you know, then I, th then there, then something is off, right? Like I need to be able to also remind myself constantly that I'm also living in order to pursue um, more joy, more depth, more meaning, more adventure, right? Yeah. Like that, that is actually part of my job as a human being on the earth um, and that we all need to be accorded that, right? Um, and so I need to also, I, I have to put myself out of... Yeah. <laughs> business emotionally too. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, I think to, to sort of get out of that 
potentially addictive impulse. It kind of ties to a conversation I had with uh, Dr. Marcus Collins, who wrote a book called For the Culture, where he was talking about, you know, and we were talking about how you form identity, right? And going back to that conversation we had 20 minutes ago, right? You know, and the the well-intentioned people doing bad things. But, you know, yes, if you are advocating for doing things for uh, getting attention for that can become identity, right? That can become its own yeah. form of toxic. All right. So I, did, I had two of the four. I will remember the other two, hopefully, right now. Um, mm, Eddie, this might be tough. It they were all there, and then they are not. Why did I only remember? Oh, oh, I've got it. Okay, so this was, by the way, not an intentional pause. When you were talking to me about those base level things, I was starting to think that we need to like re re-examine Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I think there are a lot of principles in that pyramid, just like the food pyramid that are good, that makes sense. Like you look at the food pyramid and you go, yeah, you should eat some vegetables. You should do this, right? But you start looking at the food pyramid and you're like, there's a shit ton of butter in there. I don't know if we're, I like, you know, like, am I supposed to have that much milk? Like, what are we doing? And I think the same thing is like, we have never re-examined Maslow's hierarchy of needs of going like, okay, well, at a base level here and a base level there. And the fourth thing that I want to talk about was, this is true for anyone who is listening to this podcast, right? You talk about people feeling stressed. Well, hell yeah, people are stressed because- and I, I mean, my my general theory on that is that, yes, there are tons of factors that you were laying out that will make people even more stressed, right? Basic human needs, right? But then there's also just, we're ever connected. I don't think we're decompressing at a rate that yeah. we normally did. And that that part, like that's a shared experience that we all have. I, you know, I, I have a hard time shutting down at night because I'm taking in so much content or I'm thinking about making more content or, you know, I watched, I think like 30 minutes about how to hang a window on YouTube and got really into that. <laughs> I was like, why am I watching well, old clips of Bob Vila? What is wrong with me? Go to sleep. Well, to self-regulate, to soothe, right? Like, I mean, I think yeah. that, that there's nothing irrational uh, about that. I think that you, uh, like your body is doing what it needs to do in order to cope with the onslaught of overstimulation, right? And living in a world that is just like driven by anxiety. And so that's what we do. You know, we take our phones, we scroll on our phones endlessly, you know, where we're looking for outlets to soothe and to self-regulate and to numb and to process and to cope. And in some ways, I think your last two points are interrelated because I've always felt, mm -hmm. and, and maybe I'm in the minority here, right? And, and I think that Maslow's hierarchy should actually, I don't know if it should be like a hierarchy, you know, I think it should be like, like a flatter structure, but anyway, that's like, a, you know, a side tangent. But I, I think that we need to, I think that Maslow's hierarchy is, I think we need to inverse it. I know people are going to kill me for saying that, but I actually think that what we put at the top as self-actualization actually comes first. Like yeah. I, I really think that as, as, as for us to flourish as human beings, we, we need to feel safe within ourselves, right? We need mm -hmm. 
that that connection and that intimacy to one another and to ourselves at a very deep level. And so I think it's as basic and as important as water and food, right? Like I think that the the ability to feel um to feel free, right? And to have that dignity deep down inside is 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 so fundamental and is such a prerequisite actually for everything else, right? Because if you feel good about yourself, it's it's easier to go out into the world and 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 fend for yourself and for your family and to, you know, get about the business of living, right? And and so I I, I to use your word, I think I think that re-examination, that rethinking, all of that I think is so critical. Um, and and there's something about this current moment, this current historical and political moment that I think is 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 opening up a reckoning, right? Where mm-hmm. we have to deal again with the feeling part of ourselves, right? The part of ourselves that is yearning and craving for for safety and 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 that sense of 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 connection at a deep human level yeah i mean not to trivialize it but like you know you it's hard to love people and have good relationships if you can't love yourself first right um yeah i think there's there are a lot of things that should be re-examined it's it's interesting that we want to look back we want it's almost like we want a marker for what's going on that we can relate back to things because we want to assume that human nature is always the same and that we are always generally going to make the same decisions. Um, and I think some of those things, some of those things are true. I think like I want to re-examine a lot of these things and kind of deconstruct a lot of these things and apply them to a new lens of technology, uh, how we spend our time, how we interact, because I think just all of those things change. It's why it's like any college textbook that you have, go burn it. Also, if you had a textbook, like, why are you hanging on to it? The things that I learned in school 15 years ago now, good God. But like the things that I learned in school do not apply at all. Like I was, you know, I remember being in college and talking about them like, well, there's going to be this thing called the attention economy. I didn't use that term, but I was like, you know, basically every, and then everybody's, I, I did this thing about like this Google grid and I was like, it was like 2004. And I was like talking about, I'm like, I was talking to one of my professors. I was like, well, what's going to happen is everybody's just going to go off into their own comfortable lanes of content where they can only get the stuff that they like and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, 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 Wait, no. People, people still read newspapers. Huh? You said that? Yeah, you, 2004. You, oh my God, yeah. you were ahead of the curve. Like you were oh like... yeah, yeah. I just didn't find a good enough way to monetize it, Eddie. That's why I'm still doing podcasts. <laughs> but but you know what's, what's funny? Yeah, because like the models we were getting, they're like, build more Krispy Kremes. They're like, tell me, tell me why they should build 20,000 stores. I was like, ah, I don't think the market's there. I don't, I, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I mean, they're delicious, but we don't need 20,000 of them. But because right. I mean, there's just these all these like discussions about like there was a discussion of marketing and I'm getting on a tangent, but discussing like what the third place was. Right. And this right. is kind of how things change at the time. It was like, well, there's home and then there's the office and then there's the third place, which is like a Starbucks where you can go do stuff. And I'm like, well, that term doesn't work anymore, especially post pandemic. You know what the third place is? Third place is my den. I am interviewing you <laughs> from my den <laughs> and that's the third place or the first place or the second place. Like think, but things, things change and they adapt and they evolve 
And for the most part, a lot of these things that we apply, we we try and apply them for decades because, yeah, at a base level, something like Maslow works, right? And I don't want to spend too much time on that. The only thing I would say that I, I think is always a truism in human nature is like when people migrated from Twitter to Threads are like, Threads is going to be amazing. Everybody's going to be kind and nobody's going to say a bad thing ever. I was like, give it like four five days just let let me know (laughs) let me know how that works that's the thing with human nature i'm like yes we're feelers over thinkers right discourse is fine like let's have messy discourse let's you know there's going to be certainly bad things that would that need to be policed and hopefully that community polices it and hopefully all those things happen but uh, i don't know if i want to be on a social platform where everybody just gives each other high fives and and says this is great aren't we feeling great i'm like no the world sucks in a lot of ways it's messy let's let's and i think that's the kind of like the last question i want to get to is like how often do people like get this conversation wrong and try and talk about all of the good that has happened without addressing, like, do you, let me simplify the question. Are there people that are like, we did it. We solved it. Yeah. They, people who say that all the time. And for me, my, my, my response is that like, there's something really disingenuous about that. Right. Because I actually think it's not, I, I think it's not about, wanting to create the conditions for safety for all of us, right? I think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's an avoidant strategy. I, I think it's yeah. about avoiding necessary discourse, necessary conversation, right? Like I think, I, 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 and so it's not like, it, it, I think there's a difference between, you know, so I'm an advocate, right? So the first, I will raise my hand and I will sort of say, what we need to be policing or um, fighting against is the dehumanization of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, kind of like mean spirited, you know, um, yeah. attempts to really strip people of their dignity and humanity. That's very different from having a critical, robust conversation where we disagree right like i think those but we conflate those things right and i think that that conflation i think sometimes is done on purpose right by 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 bad actors to deflect attention away from 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 the necessary conversation right and i feel it's like a little bit of a trap right so the answer is not like let's all have this like kumbaya space where we're all just like you know sharing images of cats and dogs, right? Like it's not, it, mm-hmm. it, it's not, it, it's not that, right? Like that's also, I, I, and I think there is something that sits beneath that, that is disingenuous, right? That is sort of a way to um, manipulate discourse and opinion, right? In order to keep it sanitized, right? On purpose, right? And I think we that that is very, problematic and 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 as you say we, we need we, we need discourse we need difference we need um robust engagement right uh, but what we don't need is like tearing people down on the basis of who they like that and so we, we need to be able to draw a distinction between those things 
Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And you're kind of talking about it a little bit like when when people create safe space and, and talking about it in advocacy, right? I think there's a lot of times where the easy road gets taken or there's like, you know, whether it's a conversation about climate and like, well, we've done, we've done a couple things or there's a conversation about this. Well, we've done a couple things. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, cool. We tackled it. Now let's move on to the other thing. And I think there's a, there's an impulse, right. To, to want to have that feel good and then move on, but that's not possible. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. And I think we all do it. I think that we're oh, all just me included. so starved for solutions and progress, right? Like, I think we live in a very, like, what's the solution, right? Like, I hear people saying this all the time. It's like, just give me a solution. Just give me a solution. As if it's like this quick fix, right? This panacea that's like going to solve everything. Mm. And I think that yeah. is not how human experiences work right like sometimes there are partial solutions sometimes there aren't solutions yeah and we need to be okay with sitting with that right and i think sometimes the 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 impulse to want to fix everything and solve everything and put a neat little bow around it sometimes does more harm than good, right? Like we're unable to then grapple really with nuance and complexity and like just like the messiness of what it means to kind of like live on a planet with like 8 billion other people, right? Like it's, you know what I mean? So it's, oh, yeah. it's um, I, 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 and sometimes you see this, especially like in the world of work, like in corporate, I, I don't have a nine to five job so I can, you know, sort of take the mickey a little bit out of like, you know, the corporate archetype. But sometimes you see that in the world of work, it's like, we need a solution, right? And everybody's just kind of like, you know, but but then it it it, it at the end of the day, it still feels a little bit superficial, right? So it's- Oh, I think yeah. every single work dogma, ideology, right. some way of, <laughs> some way of like defining it never works. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, any, any mission statement, anything, you know, I think that was the biggest difference between 28 and 38 year old me dating myself, right. um, is that 28 year old me thought fast change was possible that got yeah. excited about the idea of we can disrupt this, we can make this happen. We can change the world. And 38 year old me is not pessimistic it's just sitting there going change is slow change is painstaking and change is not linear change will be sometimes two steps forward three steps back one step forward and a lot of you know undulation in between that's the biggest realization i've come to is um hopefully still optimistic about a lot of the world but pessimistic in the sense of how change gets made. You're absolutely right. And I think it's connected to an earlier point that you made. I think that fast change, the reason why fast change, uh, a, a belief in, in fast change does not work and is problematic is because it, it, it does not account for uncertainty and unpredictability, right? So you were saying earlier, um, you know, about, you know, your, your, your thinking, you know, way back when in 2004, about like the changes that we're going to see with like, you know, the attention economy and all of yeah. that. 
like who would have pre- pre- predicted COVID, right? And how COVID would have fundamentally altered yeah. everything. And so if you are so tethered to a fast change way of thinking about the world, you're going to constantly find yourself on the back foot. You're going to constantly be caught off guard because you, you've not opened yourself up sufficiently to the idea that life is actually really unpredictable and they just cert- like uncertainty is actually the most certain thing that we can think of and cling to. I think if you let go of the notion that you have a worldview, right? Or if you're just open to being malleable, right? I think, and this is something that I always try and be introspective about because everybody in, and again, this is trivial, but everybody gets to a point where they can only like add so many songs into their head. And at some point, you know, everybody is more influenced by what they listen to when they're 16 than when they're 40. That's, yeah. that's always going to happen. It's kind of this thing. It's like, they're like, I'm like, no, I, I, I resist. I am going to know who ice spice is. I am not getting old. I'm getting old. It's happening. Like, you know, it's like, I'm watching, I'm watching Barbie spoiler and matchbox 20 is in there. I'm like, Oh, I know that song. And I'm like, Oh, crap i know that i know the song about toxic masculinity and barbie ah! but but you know the one thing that i think you were talking about earlier is being if is being open to changing your worldview and changing how you define terms and changing and i think the people who are most effective in this world and probably the most relaxed honestly are the people who are like you know what i don't know what's coming next um, so I'm just going to be open to it. I'm going to adapt to it. I'm going to change the way I think I'm going to be, you know, I, I have parents who are like, please explain pronouns to me. I'm like, all right, how much time you got? Let's go. Uh, you know? And I'm like, thank you for, thank you for asking the question instead of not wanting to do anything about it. You I know, know? Say, I think that that should be celebrated. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. The ability to still be curious, right? And to yes. ask that I think that that is the single greatest gift that we need to hold on to, right? Like as humans, like that, that is what we need to stay. We, we, we should never get to a point where we lose that capacity for curiosity. I think that's the day I retire. Yeah, is the day I stop being curious because I mean, living in an information economy and doing doing what I do and doing what you do, it's like, you know, as long as our mind's sharp, we can do a lot of things. But when we stop caring or being curious, we're gonna stop being effective. And that's kind of how I how I view it. And that's like, when everybody asks me the question, like, hey, when are you done? I'm like, no, there's not a monetary goal. There's not really that I can do this forever. It's more so if I'm stop, if I stop being curious, if I don't want to know what AI is, if I don't want to mess around on mid journey for two hours, creating photos, if I don't want to, you know, uh, experiment with TikTok live, if like, if I don't want to at least know what things are, um, or, you know, what things are in the world, or if I just want to ignore the fact that Phoenix is literally on fire, um, like I, then, then I have stopped being curious and yeah, that's, then it's time for me to, to step away to check out in general because i mean i think that that's oh. when you stop living truly right because i think yeah. that that is, that's our job right like we are meant to be alert and awake and curious and and turn our attention to 
each other and to the world and be plugged in like that that's what that's what we need to do we can't retreat into our little you know whatever's no and we desire to have experiences right and hopefully more memorable rather than me looking at houses on zillow that i don't need and i don't need to have and i I already have a house why am i on zillow i literally am living in a house stop it jeff i'm just (laughs) trying to tell myself things right now. But um, Eddie, when I close an interview, I like to just do this little thing called keep it short, which is obviously branded with the shorty words. Yay. Um, Three questions. (laughs) We wrap it up and hey, we're actually gonna finish in under an hour. I like it. Um, So are you ready? They could be funny. They could be really serious. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. Number one, best song to be sipping Dom Perignon to. Love on Top by Beyonce. Oh, good one. Oh, I saw her and Jay and uh, unfortunately, DJ Khaled. Um, <laughs> by the way, no, no offense to him. It's just like he came on stage and he wasn't DJing. He was out front and he had a DJ behind him. And I was like, right. you're like, okay, DJ. So you're, 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 everybody was like, you're hyping your, your stuff. And I, I love it. And yeah, another one. But like, I was like, Mm. And that, but that was juxtaposed with like Beyonce has got an elevated stage that's going over an entire football field. And I'm like, oh, right. okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that's She's tough. The queen. She's the queen. Three yeah. hours, Eddie. Three hours. You know what? Like, I, just a side note to anybody: if you're doing a concert and we're having to pay like what we have to pay now for concerts, give right. us three hours three hours get get your money's worth no beyonce's like i mean she delivers mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah question two when you were thinking about fashion and mm-hmm. i mean that's not that you aren't still thinking about it but when you were inspired to be a designer um who inspired you then or who inspires you now in the fashion industry i think back then it was probably valentino okay um i just huge admirer of his. I think now, um, I feel like I'm a bit like outside of the world. I think, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Well, I'm interested to see what Pharrell does at Louis Vuitton. He just yeah. took over the creative director for menswear. And, you know, I think that there's, there's this strange thing happening, like not strange. I mean, this was like inevitable, but like the collision between like pop culture and fashion, right? Where now celebrities become designers, designers become celebrities. And you know, there's just this like interesting thing that's yeah. happening. So um, yeah, curious to see what becomes of that. Well, I think it's gonna be cooler than, not to say what he did with Adidas wasn't cool, but I think it's gonna be elevated. As a person who wears human made, I was yeah. like, I was like, I was like, I like, um but um i think yeah yeah i'm i'm a um recovering shoe addict so i am yeah so what kinds of shoes do you own eddie this is bad we're 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 about one and by the way i would just like to say that more than half of them are in rotation okay all right we're gonna talk about this offline we should talk about this offline. <laughs> my, my my general principle or justification is that as long as half of them are in rotation, it's I'm so good. good. Right, right. I think okay. if I never if I never 
there's some off-white ones and so, there's some there's some ones that I don't wear enough because I'm like I don't want to get them ruined. But um but yeah, that's a problem. Question 3. When what's the first sentence you want people to say when they talk about you? Eddie is someone deeply committed to the pursuit of liberation and fabulosity for everybody on the planet. There's no better way to end it. Thank you, Eddie. (laughs) I appreciate this so much. So fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I'm not going to call Eddie an inspiration, but he is an incredible light of a human, so effortlessly warm and approachable that you forget how many badass things he has done and will do when you start talking about Barbie. But he's right. He has skills that none of us possess, things that only he can do. Those are the things that should be celebrated. The rest, well, that's just background. Thank you to my new friend, Eddie. I'm so excited for his success and for more people to meet him and hear what he has to say. It's No Fluke is an original podcast from the Shorty Awards. It's hosted by me, Jeff Barrett, produced by Jun Myon-Soon, cover and episode art by Chelsea Shizano, research and editing by Vanchika Chuturvedi. If you like this show, please leave a five-star review, share, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any feedback or guest recommendations, send an email to info at shortywards.com or DM Shorty Awards on Instagram. Take care. Thank you.